Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. People say, I'm like my father. We both like ice cream. A lot. We're both stubborn. Probably got my sense of humor from him. We like things done right the first time. We come alive in crowds. We're the life of the party. But we seek solitude to restore, to make sense of the world. Family is important to us. We love God. And as we got older, we both cry easier. Some people even say that we kind of look alike. If you get to know me, you'll get a taste of him. Are you like your dad? How about your other dad, your heavenly father? Are you like him? If people get to know you, will they get a glimpse of him? Will they see him in the way you treat your enemies or in the way you spend your time? Will they hear him in the way you talk to your boss or your spouse? Because of you, would they want to know him? Jesus said that if you really knew him, you know his father as well. He is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the father except through him. Good morning, Center Street. Well, this is really embarrassing. I complained last night, and I complained in the first service about how tall this pulpit was. (laughs) Anyhow, uh, humility is good for us. I'm going to read a lengthy passage of scripture in a moment, John 14, or most of it. I have two favors to ask as I do that. One is, because it's lengthy, I don't want you to glaze over. I, I, I really am asking you to tune in. These words are extraordinary, most of them from the mouth of Jesus. So I'm going to take the time to read that and read it well, as well as I can. But I'm, I'm asking you to resolve right now that you are really going to attend to the words of that passage with your mind and with your heart. Second favor is after I finish reading, though I am a good Baptist, died in the wool, I like what the Anglicans do when they hear the word of the Lord. They say, this is the word of the Lord, and the people respond, thanks be to God. I think that's a proper way to acknowledge that this, this word, this book, is like no other. So when I finish reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you're going to say, thanks be to God. Now before I read that word, I want you to do a small exercise. It's not going to be painful. You're not going to have to turn to your neighbor and share anything. This is between you and God. I want you to name something. I want you to name what's troubling you. Surely, more than one of you walked into the sanctuary today and something is troubling you. Some fear has got a hold of you. Some anger keeps raising its ugly head in you, burning in you. Some anxiety keeps rattling you. Some profound sorrow keeps racking you. Just take a moment and name that thing that's troubling you.
And now listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is a Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and that you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I, too, will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have a friend named Tyler who lives up in Edmonton. He's been there about 15 years, but he attended for a few years a church that I pastored on Vancouver Island. We became very good friends, dear friends. And 
we've stayed in touch over the years that he's been in Edmonton and I was on Vancouver Island. Now that I'm in Calgary, he was going to come down in the middle of June and bring a couple of his sons and we were going to hang out. He's a plumber. He's going to do some work for me. I was in Safeway. It was going to be a boys weekend. My, my wife was away. I was so looking forward to it. I was in Safeway picking up some groceries and I got a text from Tyler's wife that his father had died. Now his father, Al, was one of the kindest, most gentle men I ever knew. He was in the church that I pastored. He remained on the island. And in the last few years of his life, he'd gone through a remarkable renewal of his faith. I had the privilege of baptizing Al about two years ago. He was one of those people that you just love to be around. Everything about him exudes encouragement. I got this text in Safeway that Tyler's dad, Al, had died, and I was devastated both for Tyler and for his family's sake and my own sake. I love this man. Obviously, the trip was off because Tyler had to go and fly to where his father had died, which was in Spain. His father had gone to Spain to fulfill what had become, it was a lifelong desire, but it had become so urgent as his faith was renewed. He'd gone to Spain to walk the Santiago El Camino, otherwise famously known as the Way. It's an ancient pilgrimage that begins in various parts of Europe, and it all converges on the city of Santiago in Spain at the Cathedral of St. James, and people come from all over the world with various motives to walk the way. Every one of them testifies to some kind of transformation as they walk the way. Well, Al, Tyler's dad, had gone to walk the way, and as he was walking it, he had a massive heart attack. Tyler and his two brothers, Byron and Lane, both friends of mine, flew over to collect their dad's ashes, have a small ceremony in Spain. And then, at the urging of their families, Tyler and Lane had rearranged their schedules, and they finished the walk for their dad. It took almost four weeks. If you've seen the movie The Way, and it's one of the few movies I can wholeheartedly recommend, it's almost a mirror of that movie where a father goes to collect the ashes of his son and decides to finish the walk of the Santiago El Camino. With Tyler's permission, and Tyler will be listening to this later, he's given me uh, permission to tell this story, and I just want to quote to you, uh, because during his near month-long walk, we corresponded uh, as he told me and sent me pictures of what he was seeing and what he was experiencing. But on the night when he first got to Spain, He wrote this, I can't sleep as I lay here in the dark with tears of joy and sorrow. I'm somewhere in the middle of of Spain because of my father's love. He would say to me, I just want you to know my father's love. Well, as the trip unfolded, this journey unfolded, there was a deepening experience for Tyler and for Lane of their physical, their earthly father's love and their heavenly father's love. Uh, They began that journey on June 20th. They got back on July 16th. A couple days later, I talked with Tyler on the phone. Now, Tyler, if you're listening, 
you know that you hardly ever lack for words. But he was trying to articulate a love that he had experienced as he walked the way, a love of his earthly father and a love of his heavenly father that he had no words for. Uh, we're hoping to get together in September and I'm just looking so forward to hear him uh, telling me more about the discovery of the love of the Father through that. Well, I can't think of a better way to introduce this text that I just read to you. Jesus going to his disciples as their hearts are turned inside out, upside down, profoundly troubled. Their world is shattered. They can't believe what, what he's telling them. It's so disorienting is so disrupting and he comes to them and he says do not let your hearts be troubled I am the way I am the truth I am the life no one comes to the father no one gets to know the love of the father no one sees the face of the father no one hears the voice of the father no one has communion with the father except for me and isn't it good news Center Street Church that though it would be a lovely thing, and I, my son and I plan to do this one day, to actually go to Spain and watch, watch the Santiago El Camino, that you don't have to go somewhere and undertake something to know the love of the Father. All you need to do is run into the embrace of Jesus Christ. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. You've been going through this remarkable series over the summer on Jesus bold statements I am I'll come back to that but I am so grateful to the leadership team here who handed me a double or triple header uh, I mean how lucky is that I, everybody else had to do a you know one I am statement I get actually three I am the way I am the truth I am the life and I believe that Jesus is pulling together this is there's only two I am statements he makes exclusively to his disciples I am the way, the truth, the life, and I am the vine. And I believe that he's pulling together every other thing that he said about the I am's in this declaration, in this pronunciation, in this revelation. I am the way, the truth, and life. But you have to understand that their hearts are profoundly troubled. Why twice he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus has told them explicitly in John chapter 12 that he is going to die. They had put everything, every hope they had, every ounce and every inch of hope that they'd ever carried had been gathered up and placed upon Jesus Christ. That they are experiencing grief of a scale that is colossal and profoundly personal as he begins to break this news. I am going to die. And then as he draws them into the upper room where he feeds them the meal, he does this weird thing. He, he comes to them and, 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 and he gets down his knees and he washes their feet and they don't know what to make of this. And then as he gets up from that meal, he says, one of you here is a devil and is going to betray me. And they're looking around, who is this, who is this? What do you mean they're gonna betray you? And then, and then Peter says, I'll never do it. And he says, Peter, but you're... You're going to deny me three times tonight. I mean, their world is falling apart. And, and if you look at the text again, and you go back into John 13, what do they do? They do what any of us would do when our hearts are ruptured and our world is 
collapsing. We ask a bunch of questions, and they're not academic questions. They're not rhetorical. They're not idle. They're burning, anguished questions. Why? Why, why this? Where's the way? What were you talking about? And in that face of this absolute turmoil, Jesus, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, don't you hate advice like that? I, I said, don't you, don't you just hate it when you're, you're, you're just in fit to be tied and everything is falling to pieces and somebody says, cheer up. Keep calm and carry on. <laughs> Usually that advice is futile, trite, trivializes the pain. But in this case, it's the only sane thing. Because Jesus doesn't appeal like the famous keep calm and carry on. Uh, it was a World War II campaign to try to boost morale. He doesn't appeal to something in us. That was an appeal to the you know, British fortitude, stiff upper lipism. Just be tough, suck it up. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is pointing to himself. And he's saying, if you knew who I am, if you knew what I'm doing, if you knew what I'm revealing, if you, if you knew the gift of God and the one who's speaking to you, this would be your best day ever. Not only in the face of this seeming tragedy, this seeming loss, but in the face of every tragedy and every loss, I can say to you with authority and with confidence, and I can give you the only sane advice possible. If you know me, do not be afraid and do not let your hearts be troubled. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now the world hates this statement, I am statement of Jesus more than any of the others. Jesus indicates this throughout the upper room discourse, John 14, 15, 16, and then his prayer in 17. The world hates this. And the world hates it. Well, you know why the world hates this? Because it's so exclusive, isn't it? I mean, there's, Buddha's not the way, and Muhammad's not the way, and Taoism is not the way, and there's no philosophy. I mean, we, they hate the exclusivity of Jesus' unique claim that there is no other way. I'm going to show you in a minute that what Jesus is saying here, nothing could be more inclusive than what he's actually saying. I'm going to show you that in a moment. But I want to point out what extraordinary good news this is that Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life. First of all, as you've been going through this series this summer, no doubt somebody's unpacked for you that Jesus is very intentionally and deliberately and transparently referring back to Exodus chapter three where Moses meets the living God at a burning bush and, and, and God gives him a terrifying assignment. I want you to go up against the most powerful man of the most powerful regime on earth. I want you to go up in Pharaoh and I want you to go tell him it's over, game's over, done, you're, you're done. And Moses goes, who should I say is sending me? And God says, I am that I am. Tell him I am sent you. Tell him 
the very ground and essence of being, of all that is, sent you. If that isn't enough authority for him, he has no ears to hear. And Jesus, in all of his I am statements, especially in John, is being very deliberate in pulling that up. In fact, the Jews want to stone him because they get it, they hear. He's making a claim, I am God. But here's the phenomenal good news. There is something in the human heart that always wants to reduce salvation to a philosophy, an ideology, a system, a set of moral principles, a set of propositions, something impersonal. Just show me the way. Just show me the technique. Just show me what I have to do. And Jesus says, no, salvation is personal. I am. <laughs> it's in me. Don't you love that? Tell me you love it, that, that salvation comes to us not as a system and not a philosophy. It comes to us as a person who shows up at your door and says, here I am, hello. <laughs> I know your name. I've known it since the creation of the world before it. <laughs> Will you run into my arms? because there is no other way. <laughs> There's no system here. There's no philosophy. There's no moral principles here by which you come into a communion with the living God. It's deeply, profoundly, irreducibly personal. Come down from that tree, Zacchaeus, because I'm coming to your house today. I mean, don't you think this is good news? I, 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 I'm so astonished. At 21, I came to Christ, and I felt very much God the Father showing up, radiating through the Son in the power of the Spirit and saying, Mark, I have to come to your house today. <laughs> I've never recovered from that. Unbelievable good news. This is what uh, somebody said. I've, I've tried to trace the source and I've come up with three different people attributed with this quote, so I'm just gonna say it's anonymous. Christianity began in Palestine as a relationship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Rome and became an institution. It moved to Europe and became a culture. It moved to America and became an enterprise. It's not an enterprise and it's not a culture and it's not an institution, and it's not a philosophy, it's a person, it's a relationship. Jesus stands before you, you right now, whether you know him and serve him, and somehow you've just kind of forgotten, or you've never come into relationship with, Jesus Christ stands before you right now, and he says, here I am. <laughs> I'm inviting you into the relationship at the very heart of the universe, it's a relationship of love, it's a relationship of most profound intimacy. Hello. <laughs> I think that's really good news. And he's pleading and appealing and speaking to you personally today. No wonder, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. But he has more to say about it. And uh, quickly, and I, don't, I think I'm only gonna touch uh, um, at most on two of these things. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled because I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he unpacks that for his disciples in three ways. Three ways it speaks into their troubled hearts. Three ways it speaks to the trouble you named. Three things he says about him, about who he is and what he's doing, that if we really grasp them, it will 
banish the trouble in your heart. The first thing he says is, I'm leaving. Now, that seems like bad news. We'll see why it's good news. The second thing he says is, I'm coming. And the third thing he says is, I am the face, I am the voice, and I am the heart of the Father. If you know me, you know him. I am leaving, I am coming, I am the face and the voice and the heart of the Father. Well, let's take that first one. I am leaving. That's, Jesus, hello, that's why they're so upset. That's why their heart, it's our trouble. That's why the world's falling. What do you mean you're leaving and this is good news? He presents his leaving as great good news. Why would this be good news? Well, because what he's leaving to do, I go to prepare a place for you. There's three things that he's preparing for us, that he's prepared for them, that he's prepared for us. And, and one alone would be extraordinary. One alone would begin to convert any tragedy we have, any heartache that we're going through into uh, inexpressible joy. But three? This is the three things that Jesus goes prepares for us. He goes prepare, firstly, he says, uh, I'm going to my father's house, many rooms. He's preparing heaven for us. Preparing heaven. Now, you, you didn't leap and jump and clap and, and hallelujah and amen when I said that. And I'll tell you why. I think that generally in the church in North America, we've become so earthly-minded. We're of no heavenly good. I, I think that we, we've become so enraptured by, so um, caught up in, and I'm talking about myself, I'm not up here pointing fingers, I'm talking about there's just a general kind of trend, a malaise in North America, that we have become profoundly earthly-minded, and we've lost the imagination of what heaven is. When I uh, wrote the book, Things Unseen, which is really about heavenly mindedness, I wrote it to convert myself. <laughs> I, I wrote it to kind of wake myself up and do the research and, and, and enter in and immerse myself in what it is to be heavenly minded. And frankly, I wrote it because I was annoyed with something I kept hearing in my church. I kept hearing people say, you do not want to be so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. I think that's the stupidest thing we could ever think. Have you ever met anybody so earth, uh, heavenly minded there's no earthly good? I, every heavenly minded person I've met has courage, joy, generosity, uh, an endurance. Uh, they, they, they exude grace. Every heavenly minded person is outsized fun to be with. And there are tons of earthly good. They're, they're giving away money to charity. I mean, it's just unbelievable to be around them. I knew uh, myself to be so earthly minded I was no good for earth or heaven. <laughs> And I began to look at scripture and I began to realize the enormous energy, vitality, effectiveness, fruitfulness of the early church in the book of Acts was precisely because we had a bunch of heavenly minded people running around. <laughs> and Jesus went to prepare a place for us. Helmut Thielke, the German theologian and pastor was preaching through the Lord's Prayer during World War II in the city of Stuttgart, and one night, uh, the Allied bombers came over Stuttgart, leveled large sections of the city, and many people that went to his church lost their homes, and some of them lost their lives, and Stilicke tells the story of uh, going to 
where one of the areas of uh, his church folks were and the place was completely rubble, smoking rubble. And a woman came up, attended the church and she was crying and she said to him and pointing at the, the grave of destruction in front, this, this bombed out hole in the ground that had been her home and she said, my husband died there last night. And he didn't, he, he, what do you say in the face of grief that monumental? And so he's struggling to think, what, what can I say to console this woman? But it turns out she's not looking for consolation. She says, I, I just wanted to thank you because of what you've been preaching about the kingdom of God. You prepared my husband for eternity. He has gone to prepare a place for you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Let me tell you one story of some years ago when I was a pastor. Saturday night, I got home late. I looked at my sermon that I was going to preach the next morning. I was getting ready. I was getting into bed. The phone rings. It's a nurse at the hospital who's frantic. She doesn't know me. I don't know her. But she's the only pastor in the town that she can think of, that she's heard of. And so she phones me at 11 at night because she has got a situation that she doesn't know how to deal with. There's a man in the hospital who is dying hard and fast, but he is dying with such anguish that he's howling and writhing and his family are beside themselves as they watch their beloved die. Can I come and do something? Well, I get dressed, I go up to the hospital. Now, up until that moment, I'd used the word death throws several times and had no idea what it was. I walked in the room, and, and uh, this is the picture forever for me when I hear the word death throws. This man was twisting, limbs flying, writhing, howling, moaning. But the worst of all was the look of abject terror. This man was seeing hell. And his family was almost as worse that off as he was. I don't know what to do. So I, I just do what you do when you don't know what to do. You say, God, 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 help, help, help. And uh, I put my hands on the man's head and I began to pray. And I began to pray shalom, peace. In a few moments, he, he just settles, and his breathing becomes regular, and, he, and his body stops thrashing, and a kind of clarity comes into him, and then a lucidity, and I begin to talk with him, and I ask, do you, do, you, do you know Jesus Christ? And it turns out 25 or 30 years before, he had some meaningful encounter, he turned his life over, but he'd done nothing with it, and I said, um, you're hours from going to eternity. Can I reintroduce you? And so I led him and his family, uh, not his children, they didn't want to, but his wife to Christ that night. And then uh, there was just an incredible peace in the room and I thought, well, this man's hours away from heaven. I better tell him something about what I know. So for the next half hour, I, I told him, uh, you're about to go and meet the one you love, the one who loves you face to face. And, and I, we don't know a lot about it. We know that it's going to be unbelievable. The love of God is going to overwhelm you every day and it's never going to diminish. And I just went on and on about heaven. When I left that room, there was a tangible light in it. 
and there was so much peace, and there was a spirit of celebration. Well, I went uh, next morning, I preached, and as I was driving back from the church, I thought, I better just drop in and see if that man made it through the night. So I went up, and I walked into the room where I'd been, and sure enough, uh, there was somebody else there. I went out to the nurse's station just to check that he hadn't been moved, and I said, the man um, that was in there last night, did, did he die last night? And she says, no, he's, he's still here. And I said, where did you move him? She says, he's still in that room. I said, no, I just was in the room. He's not there. She says, he's still in the room. So I walked in, and, and a, this transformed creation was in the room. <laughs> I did not recognize. I mean, this was so much joy and strength and vitality. Just radiant. We just had a fantastic conversation. I never saw him again. A year later, I'm walking uh, after the sermon. I'm walking down the aisle, and near the back, I see a lady, and I vaguely recognize her, and I said, do we know each other? And she says, yeah, you came to the hospital room almost a year ago and uh, ministered to me and my husband as he was dying. And I said, what happened? And she said, he died last week. We had the best year of our entire marriage. And when he died, he was filled with joy and peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because he has gone and prepared a place for you. No, that would be enough, but he's gone to prepare a place for us. And the reason Jesus is somewhat vague about this and saying, well, I'm going there, you can't come now, I'll come, I'll come get you later, is because the preparation that he has to do in order to prepare a place. Sometimes we think he's up there putting pictures on the wall and painting and you know, arranging the furniture. No, the, the, the way that Jesus is preparing a place for us is he's going to the cross. He's going to do that which only he can do and we can't. There's no other way. He has to become the way. We have to go to heaven only through him. Now, a moment ago I said that the world of all the statements out of Jesus' mouth hates this one the most because of its seeming exclusivity. I want to submit to you that nothing could be more inclusive than the cross of Jesus. If you believe in heaven, there's only really two possible theories about what qualifies you to go there. Variations on these theories, but only two possibilities in terms of how you would qualify to go to heaven. The first one is wildly and wildly popular. Virtually every culture has a version of this theory of how you qualify to heaven. And it comes down to this. You have to be enough. Smart enough, good enough, kind enough, virtuous enough. You have to be enough. You get to go to heaven, you have to say, God, I'm enough. Whatever the, the, the qualifications were, whatever the criteria, I'm enough. I did, I did enough. I am enough. I know enough. Do you want to play that game? Anybody? I mean, what, like, what, where is on the scale, what, what is enough? See, underneath that theory of enoughness is a pair of scales, old scales, not the scales that digitally read out how, how much you weigh. But those old scales where you have, you know, uh, a pole in the middle and, and you balance these things. And so uh, really what we're saying with that theory of enoughness is I get up to heaven and 
God uh, says, okay, let's pile all the good stuff, all the enoughness. <laughs> your good deeds, your kind thoughts, your nice attitudes. Let's pile that all on one side of the scale. And now let's take all the bad stuff and put it on the other side. Does anyone want to play that game? I, I don't I hate that game. God hates that game. You know what God does? None of it's enough. <laughs> so I cancel it all. Cancel it all. I cancel all the good things you thought you were bringing to I cancel all the bad things you did. I cancel it all. Now let me ask you this, church. Which of those two systems or theories is more exclusive? <laughs> I, I mean... The people, one major mess up, and, and you've already lost on this one, right? <laughs> or what about the people who never had a chance? I mean, just a lifetime of accumulated crime. I mean, I, so many people excluded. <laughs> but what if Jesus just comes and says, let's stop playing the game. Run into my arms. <laughs> You're not enough, I am. I am the way. I can't think of anything more inclusive. Everybody gets a shot at that one. Everybody can say yes or no to that one. It's not based on what you've done or haven't done. It's just yes. Maybe you're here today and, and you've never said yes to that and, and you've been really trying to work out your own salvation, find some other way. There is no other way. It's very personal. God comes to you and he just says, run into my arms. Well, let's stop playing the game of are you good enough. I'm saying that's not the concern. If you want the answer, no. <laughs> I'm enough. Come to me. At the end of the service, they're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Cut to the chase and do it. <laughs> well, if that was all that he said, I, I've gone to prepare heaven and I've gone to prepare the way. But the third preparation that God, Jesus does for us, and he's all throughout what he's saying in this upper room discourse, and he hints at it at the beginning, at the end of John 14, is uh, I'm going to release the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm going to ask the Father, he's going to give you a counselor, a comforter, a paraclete, one who's going to walk alongside of you, and he's going to be constantly in communion uh, with you, and, and, and it's going to be the Father and I are going to make our home with you through that. We're going to be talking to you all the time. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I've gone to prepare a place for you, and where's the place? Here's the place, right here, right here's the place. Right here, the paraclete, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is right here. This is the place. And, and when you get in the car, that's the place. And you go home, there's the place. Everywhere to heaven is heaven. St. Catherine of Siena. Everywhere to heaven is heaven. <laughs> Do you understand what Jesus has done? He said, not only have I gone and got a place ready for you, maybe he paints the walls, I don't know, but, but I'm, I'm preparing a place for you where you get to live in unbroken communion with the Father forever and ever and ever as his dearly loved child, and I opened the place through my own body on the cross. Just come to me, just quit trying to figure it out on your own. But all the way to heaven is heaven. So, so any moment you want communion and intimacy and a taste of eternity, just come right now. Right now. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And don't be afraid. 
Because heaven's been opened for you by the blood of the Lamb. The curtain of his own body has been torn so you can walk through into the Holy of Holies at any time you want communion with the Son and the Father through the Spirit. This is the place. <laughs> well, I got to quit, so I'm not going to get to the, I'm coming, but let's, let me uh, tell you one story. Uh, the, the best news actually Jesus announces in this isn't that I'm preparing a place. That's phenomenal news. I, 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 I even nervous about scaling them or something, ranking them. But I think the best news that he gives is that uh, if you've seen me, you've seen God. You've seen the Father. You, you want to know what the Father is like? You want to know what his voice is like? You want to know what his heart is like? You want to know what it is like to be loved on by the Father? Just come to me. I, Jesus reveals the Father. The great ache in our heart is to know the Father. If you've had a great Father, then you know how, what a blessing that is and what would that be like multiplied infinitely. And if you've had a terrible father, what would it be like to have one that thoroughly, utterly, totally, unconditionally loved you? And Jesus says, I want to show you the heart of the, the true father. A few years ago, there's a lady in our church uh, where I was pastoring and she ran a preschool. And she was having adults come by and talk to her little preschoolers about what they did for a living, what their job was. And so she invited me to come and talk to them about what it was to be a pastor. So I showed up about 10 little, you know, three to five-year-olds, tyrants, basically. Um, I, I was an hour with them. I've never been more exhausted in my life. I was so out of my depth. I don't know how she did it five days a week, all day, but... So I'm, I'm talking to these little kids, and I said, uh, I'm a pastor. Does anyone know what a pastor was? Ten kids, and not one knew. They're all little pagans, and uh, <laughs> little pagan tyrants. And so I, I, I'm trying to explain to them what a pastor is, and, and they're picking their nose, and they're whacking each other, and they're you know, crawling around and, and flatulating. It's just a, it's like how... I'm, and, and so I'm trying to get their attention, and I'm, I'm explaining and trying to language, a three-year-old language, what a pastor is. And finally he says, well, there's this really special book, and I get to open it every week, and I get to talk to a whole bunch of people about what's in the book. It's a book mostly of stories. Would you like to hear one of those stories? Well, that got a little bit of their attention. So I, I'm just scrambling. I'm just, I, so what story? I'm gonna, I, I said, well, there's this boy, and he was really bad. And uh, he just kept doing things to hurt his dad, like deliberately to hurt his dad. Um, stealing things and kicking his sister and um, be, being really lippy to his dad. And, and finally, he actually took his dad's money and ran away. I said, what do you think would happen if you, you were that hurtful to your dad? And one little guy said, oh, I'd be in trouble. I said, yeah, well, he, 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 he just... Didn't care, he took all this stuff from his dad, he went away and he just did some really bad stuff. Like I can't even tell you how bad it was. It was bad though. And, uh, and then one day, uh, he's just really hungry and, he's, and he's, life's difficult and he thinks, you know, there used to be a lot in the fridge at home. I, I, I wonder if I went home and I pleaded and groveled and I, and I said I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, if dad would just let me have some, something in the fridge. 
So he's scared and he's thinking about what he's going to say to his dad and how he's going to say sorry and how he's going to say, I'll make it up, I'll work for this. And he's walking home and he comes over the, the hilltop and his dad sees him. Now, what do you think his dad's thinking? And uh, a couple of them says, oh, he's mad. I said, yeah, that, that's pretty much what the guy thought. So when he sees his dad, he's, he's just thinking, what do I... Dad, I'm, I'm sorry, how do I say this? I'm, I'm sorry. And, and then his dad's running toward him, running, laughing and crying and throws his arms around him and he's trying to make a speech to his dad, but his dad says, I'm just so happy you're home. Get, let's fire up the barbecue. <laughs> Bring some clothes out. And these little tyrant pagans are, their literal jaws are dropping and their eyes are bugging. And I said, um, and I wanted to tell you that story because um, that's what God's like. And if ever you're wondering at any point in your life what God is like, just remember that father running toward you with his eyes open, laughing and crying, so glad that you are home. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Let me pray. Father God, I just love that you reveal the Father's heart, the Father's face, the Father's voice. God, we had no idea how good it was until you came near. We thought we had to do things. We thought we had to perform. We thought we had to get it right, get the theology questions right. And all we had to do was fall into your arms, the arms that come wide open and running toward us. God, I pray that if anybody here knows you but they've forgotten all this, that they would come into renewed faith and hope and trust and their hearts would not be troubled. Everywhere to heaven is heaven. And I pray, Father, if there's somebody here and they don't, they would stop all of the endless, futile, hopeless efforts to get themselves saved and they would just fall upon the God who loves them. And I pray it in your name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.